As Eckhart Tolle said, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. Join Sue Jackson every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for Finding Human, a look at the wonder that is the human mind, right here on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guest today is Zenia Aiotis, and we our topic is eating intuitively, mindfully, and enjoyably. Uh, Zenia and my good friend Audrey Wiener attended a mindfulness retreat in um, the Midlands. What was it? Where did you go to, Zenia? Uh, hi, Sue. Great <laughs> to be here. We yeah. went to the Buddhist retreat center in Ikopo. It's, um, it's about an hour and a half from Peter Maritzburg. Okay. I couldn't pronounce that. Thank you. And Audrey told me uh, that uh, Zenia, uh, who's kind of related to Audrey, is an amazing human and then I, uh, then that she would be an excellent guest on my program. So thank you, Aud, and welcome, Zenia. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you very much, Sue. It's really great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You know, we've got a, a program full that we're going to be covering. Uh, we've got uh, Mindfulness um, YouTube by John Kabat-Zinn after the first advert, which is very short. And then we're going to end our program with Aretha uh, Franklin, and it's in honor of of her. And it's one of uh, Xenia's favorite songs, I Say a Little Prayer. Um, like any relationship, your relationship with your body and the food requires compassion, trust, and love. This is a quote. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. What is it about that that you would actually agree with? So if you look at a relationship you have with someone you love, you know, there's love, compassion, and trust. So when you look at your relationship with your body, um, you love your body. Well, you need to love your body. Not many of us do. Um, treat your body with compassion and accept its limitations, imperfections, and also to trust your body. So your body has an inherent wisdom. Your body knows when it's hungry. It knows what it wants to eat, how much it wants to eat, when it wants to stop. Your, if you really listen to your body, it will tell you so many things, but mm. it's about cultivating that relationship. We have been taught through, you know, diets and not accepting our bodies. We've kind of disconnected from our bodies. We've disconnected from the wisdom of our bodies. It's so true. Now, just tell us, Eni, I know that you, you have three degrees, but you said that they're not actually related to this. What, what, how would you, um, name yourself? You are an intuitive, uh, counselor, an eating counselor, and, uh, a mindfulness. So I'm an intuitive eating counselor. And a coach? And a coach, a mindful eating coach. So, I mean, whether you call me coach or counselor, it's really the same thing. And What brought you into this line of work? My own struggles with food and my body. I started dieting at the age of 13, and it was 27 years of yo-yo dieting, on a diet, off a diet, hating my body, 
a dysfunctional relationship with food, either binge eating or um, starving myself. I mean, you know, from injections to pills to starving myself, um, all, you know, really in pursuit of thinness. Mm-hmm. And if you, if for anyone actually listening to this program, I'm looking at a very beautiful woman sitting opposite me, Xenia, with clear skin and bright eyes and thin, by the way. I'll actually take a photograph of her for all of, with me, for all of you who are actually wondering if she can be trusted. She certainly can because she is living what she is saying, your words, you're living them. You know, uh, we were talking about um, intuitive eating. What what do you think intuitive, you could really, how can you sum it up? You said acceptance, listening. Okay, so intuitive eating was created by two dietitians in the USA. And what they noticed was giving people eating plans and putting them on diet and, you know, being the food police was not working. And so they developed this methodology or this approach. And intuitive eating is something we actually know when we're little. You know, we know when we're hungry. We know when we've had enough. You know, you'll see little kids eating and they'll eat half a sandwich and then leave the rest because really what they want to do is go outside and play. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is parents, grandparents get involved and they tell you you've got to finish your food and you can't waste food. So we are actually born intuitive eaters. But through being exposed to dieting and restricting food, we lose that intuitive approach with food. And this is really reteaching people how to be intuitive and natural around food and to eat when you're hungry, stop when you've had enough, not judge your food, listen to how the the food feels in your body, feel it. So how do you feel when you've had a smoothie, for example? How do you feel when you've eaten an omelet? And, you know, your body will tell you whether food agrees with you or not. But we so in our heads about what's good or what's right, what's wrong, what's fattening, um, what's slimming, that we stop connecting to how food feels in our bodies. That's so true. And, you know, so often I know I've said it to my own children and certainly I've heard them saying it to their children, uh, come and eat, you must be, you're hungry now. And yes. they say, well, we're not hungry, you know. <laughs> no, but it's time to eat. Or, or the other one is, have a banana because you might get hungry later. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It really is. Okay, so tell me about um, mindful eating then. Okay. How do you go so about there, that? There are overlaps between intuitive eating and mindful eating. And initially when I started this work, I only practiced intuitive eating. In fact, let me just go back. When I started, I was a weight loss coach. And so um, as I was doing that, I realized that focusing on weight loss is not helping people. Were you on a weight loss program? It wasn't a program. It was using a non-diet approach to weight loss. But um, very soon... I saw that this wasn't working and I needed to move away from weight loss. And um, that's when I was certified an intuitive eating counselor. And even then, um, intuitive eating also moved away from promoting weight loss because promoting weight loss doesn't help you get to peace with food. And mindful eating and intuitive eating really is an approach 
to help you make peace with food and get to a place of acceptance and joy and peace and freedom around food and hopefully eventually to peace and acceptance with your body. The body part is a lot more difficult. It's, you know, initially you start off with um, with the food. Mm-hmm. And so there are overlaps between mindful eating and intuitive eating because really if we look at what mindful eating is, mindful eating is tuning in to how your body feels what thoughts you're having about eating and how you're feeling emotionally. So you're looking at three things, the mind, mm, mind. the body, Mm. and emotions. Wonderful. We'll come back onto that in a moment. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I have with my guest today Xenia Ayotas, we're now going to be listening to a, a short YouTube by uh, John kabat on mindfulness. If you don't know anything at all about meditation, what it really is, is it's about paying attention in a systematic way. And for, a, uh, for no reason other than to be awake. Because a lot of the time, if you pay attention to where your mind is at, it's not in the present moment. It's off someplace else. Either in the future or in the past, you know all this. We spend huge amounts of time worrying and, and uh, planning and then being upset about what happened or what didn't happen in the present moment, which is the only time we have to create or to be in relationship or to love or to do anything. It gets kind of squeezed, and so we're blasting through our present moments to get, hopefully, to better moments at some point, whether it's the weekend or vacation in the Bahamas or whatever it is where it'll all fall together. And then, of course, it doesn't because it rains and the kids are cranky or sick or you can't go or whatever it is. So the conditions are never actually right for being in the present moment which is why we don't want to be there so much. I mean, if they were just great, then, of course, we'd all just be here all the time. But since it's never really satisfactory, we drive ourselves insane, really, trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic as opposed to sort of understanding that we're not the Titanic to begin with. So anyway, that calligraphy was the calligraphy for mindfulness. And I just want to say that uh, in Chinese, uh, various uh, ideograms are made up of other ideograms in the character for mindfulness is made up of the ideogram for presence, that's the top one, like a little hat, over the character for heart. So when you hear the word mindfulness, you have to understand it as presence of heart. The best part of your day, at the heart of your community, all the talk, all the music, all the news, Kaya FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest is Xenia Ayotis, and we are talking about intuitive, mindful, and enjoyable eating. Xenia, what did you think about that? Do you agree with it, that it's a heart uh, heart feeling as well, mindfulness? Yes. A mind and heart? Yes, because mindfulness without compassion isn't mindfulness. Mm. So really, another way to describe mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness. So being aware of the present moment with no judgment and with compassion, with curiosity. So if we look at that in terms of eating, say, for example, you've just eaten a whole chocolate because you're sad. Typically, what we'll do is beat ourselves up and judge ourselves for being weak because we ate a chocolate. But if you bring a mindful approach to that, you would eat the chocolate and then have compassion for yourself because the reason you're eating 
a whole chocolate is because you're feeling sad. Mm. So why beat yourself up when you're already hurting? Absolutely. So bringing in that compassion and the non-judgment. We are so caught up in judgment about what we're eating, how we look, what we're not eating, that if we just bring that curiosity in, which is one of the attitudes of mindfulness, compassion, heartfulness, um, non-judgment, letting go, curiosity are all attitudes of mindfulness. So imagine you bring curiosity to you binge eating chocolate. Then you'd go, well, I wonder why. Then you can maybe get to the bottom of it. But when you're in judgment, you get stuck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was reading your blog, which I must, might add are fantastic, your, your different Thank you, blogs. Um, you said, I understand what it feels like to believe I don't have willpower and discipline. I have no control over food. I hate my body. I just love food too much. I will always binge eat. I can't imagine a peaceful relationship with food. And, I mean, you actually said that uh, you had managed to get your three degrees, speak, learn five languages, but you still couldn't figure out eating. And as if eating, you said, was a a rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) And, yes, I mean, the, the struggle with food is so real for so many people. And I believe that there are three things at the core of this. Number one is being dissatisfied with our bodies. And so what do we do when we're dissatisfied with our bodies is we'll turn to diets or restricting food in order to change them. Um, and, and then there's emotional difficulties. And, you know, so we feel emotional discomfort and we will then turn to food to soothe us. And then that becomes habitual. Mm. So. Really, you know, emotional eating is very much as a coping mechanism. And because it releases feel-good hormones, we we feel comforted briefly. Momentarily. Yeah. Mm. Um, It then becomes a habit for every time we feel any form of discomfort, we'll, you know, grab something, pop it in our mouths, um, just as momentary relief. So when you were a little girl, were you overweight as a a young child? No, no. When did you start putting on weight? Was it an emotional thing or what was it? So when I went on my first diet and I look back at those photographs, I wasn't overweight. But in your head you were. Yes. I mean, at the time, there were girls that were a lot thinner than me. So and you were I was, 13. I was 13. I was at boarding school. And I believed that I needed to be thinner. And so that started my journey on dieting. And that was, you know, one of the core problems for me. You know, it was 27 years of yo-yo dieting. Mm -hmm. And then I reached a point where I just couldn't go on another diet. And I was exploring different ways. And what I found was um, a coach in America who kind of taught a non-diet approach. And I happened to lose weight by doing this. Um, It was a mixed blessing because... Afterwards, you know, um, I kind of turned this it into the I can only eat when I'm hungry and stop when I've had enough diet. And then I had to go back later and make peace with my body because, um, you know, I'd lost weight, but I wanted to lose more and more and more. Mm. And, um, you know, it just wasn't enough. And then I discovered intuitive eating and mindful eating. And through that, I was able to then, you know, really just make peace. 
And I think that's a huge one. You know, just thinking about myself, when I was a little girl, um, my gran used to say that I had to have the last roast potato when, when we had a big family. And uh, when the clan got together, mm-hmm. my gran used to say I, I could have the last roast potato because I was really thin. And mine was also an emotional thing. It was at boarding school. And I remember it very clearly exactly when it was. It was a traumatic event. And I started eating to comfort myself. Yes. Yeah. And from then onwards, it's literally been, I've been, I was very thin at one stage. But the thinner I was and the more people would actually comment on how thin I was and, you know, how good I was looking and what have you. I couldn't believe it in my own head and had mm. to start eating again, you know, to yes. almost like a punishment. Would you say that sometimes it is a punishment almost to yourself? I don't believe that it's a punishment. So, okay, so let's go back. So what happens is we we lose weight. And if you've used dieting to lose weight, I mean, the research shows that 95% of people who go on diet or restrict foods, manipulate their eating, will put the weight back on again. Mm. Um, so diets are not sustainable. So we need to look at, did you put that weight back on again because of the classic yo-yo dieting cycle, which will lead to weight gain again and sometimes even more weight gain? Um, and then it's very often a combination of factors. So, yes, emotional and um, not kind of seeing yourself as a thin person. Um, but I don't like to emphasize thin or fat. I mean, we really need to move beyond that and start looking at body acceptance. Because like what you said about your grandmother, she allowed you to have the last potato because you were thin. Mm. What if you were bigger? Would you not have been allowed to have it? Yeah, no, my other cousins weren't allowed <laughs> So to what it. message is that giving? <laughs> We've just got a break for an advert. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Xenia Aiotis, and we're talking about intuitive, mindful, and enjoyable eating. You can SMS us on 34519, or you can WhatsApp us on 061 Zenia would love to answer questions. Right, we're going back. You wanted to say something about people uh, actually, literally body acceptance. and. Okay, so just coming back to what you were saying earlier, Sue, about how, you know, you lost weight and you were getting praise for it. Um, You know, we've really got to be careful about praising people around um, weight loss and praising people around being thin because our culture makes it very difficult for people who are living in larger bodies. You know, we're living in a country where there's diversity of religion, diversity of race, diversity of color, and what we need to be looking at is diversity of body size, body shape. So coming back to the whole thin praise is what typically happens when you lose weight on a diet is You know, if you're the lucky 5% that's going to keep the weight off, great. But for most of us, we gain the weight back again. And, you know, what happens when you gain the weight back is, you know, you get all the praise from losing the weight. And then when the weight comes back on, you know, you feel such shame that you don't want people to see you because you're scared of what they're going to think. Um, So you hide and you don't want to go out and you feel this incredible shame. 
and blame and you blame yourself. So for me, it's, it's really not useful to, to praise people uh, around, around weight loss. And, you know, it's quite funny when you say we are a, a country of diversity because certain of our ethnic groups actually believe that weight gain, well, you know, a being a bit overweight is yes. actually far healthier for childbearing and what have you. Absolutely. So I've often thought I would like to change my ethnicity sometimes. Is that the right <laughs> word? <laughs> so going back to what body acceptance, you know, I think that is such a huge one because – when I see young kids today, like of 12, as you say, you were 13, I was 14, um, young children as young as 8 and 10 being put on diet, you know, what message are they actually getting? Oh, well, the message really that they're getting is that your body's not acceptable mm-hmm. and it needs to change. And it's, you know, the, that age of 12, you know, when girls go into puberty, it's such an important age because if your food is – so naturally a girl will um, start developing fat cells at that time, um, you know, preparing for childbirth later. And so very often girls will put on weight in that time. And to then go and put the child on diet and restrict food, the body compensates by creating more fat cells. So, you know, the best mm. thing is – I mean. Really, my message is do not go on diet mm. and do not put your children on diet. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Really, all it creates is weight cycling, not weight loss. Ultimately, it leads to more weight gain. It creates a dysfunctional relationship with food. So it's not a solution. So you're actually probably getting anger and blame and guilt and all of those coming in already already then at that age. Yes. If they're put on a diet. And shame. Mm. Shame around their bodies, shame around what they're eating, comparing their bodies to other people's bodies. I mean that body comparison is a big thing. But you know, let's look at nature. Um you get Willow trees, you get bonsai trees, you get baobab trees, um, you get little fever, you know, fever trees, you get acacia trees. So you get different types of and shapes of, of trees and animals as well. You know, you get rottweilers and little Maltesers and um, what are those, th- those whippets? Mm. Well, why can't we look at our bodies in the same way? It's so true. I mean, I'm just thinking about an elephant or a baby monkey. You know, yes. I mean, look at the difference. A baby elephant compared to a baby monkey, you know, and they're both beautiful, aren't they? Absolutely. But, um, you know, what about injections and what do you think of injections and diet pills and so, all of those? <laughs> well, having done that, um, oh, no, I'm not for it at all. Um, Do you believe that that starts a yo-yo cycle? Absolutely. I mean, it's just another form of of dieting and, you know, assisting through appetite suppressants. I mean, I know there are very – some serious side effects. I went on a pill called Ponderax, and they've been taken off the market because they've been known to cause um, – those pills caused strokes and heart problems – so you've got to be very careful. Mm-hmm. But it, what's amazing is um, how we are so desperate for thinness that we will do we will do anything. It's so true. Operations, whatever you you know, 
cutting away and it's hard it's hard because intestines and yeah exactly because the culture our culture promotes it mm-hmm. what do you see in magazines what does the media promote look at the fashion industry although that's changing a bit so we need to be bringing in more diversity i mean some of the, um i know in france um they've increased the body size for for models from um a th- 20-something to them. Um, I'm not sure of the sizes, but they've increased it. So That's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to mindful, intuitive eating, you know, as, um, re, you know, just going back to our, say, grandpa, my grandparents' age, we would sit down. First of all, we would say grace. And I, I never forget, actually, on a funny note, my one cousin was, we were all asked different times to say grace. And um, my one cousin said, I think he'd learned this at his boarding school, little fishes, lick your dishes, we all say amen. And that was <laughs> the shortest grace we'd ever said. You know, none of us have ever forgotten that one. But, um, you know, and then we'd sit down and you'd begin to eat. But you'd eat with knives and forks, with decent cutlery. So you would actually be sitting down. A conversation would be going on. And um, I suppose in a way it was almost mindful eating, but without realizing it was being mindful. Absolutely. So, yeah, mindful eating really is about paying attention it's about awareness. Oh, and chewing. I remember my grandparents yes. saying, now chew your yes. food properly. Yes. So it's awareness, attention, gratitude. Mm. So one of the tools or tips I always tell my clients is before eating, breathe. But before eating, bless your food. Mm. Start with grace. Because what it does, just start by starting with a blessing or saying grace, is it's a natural pause. And that's such a beautiful thing. You know, in Judaism, um, would they have got blessings for every type of food? And and it says the purpose of a blessing is awareness. Yes. So it is actually bringing awareness into it. And, you know, my husband and I were going down to Durban a, a few months ago, and we stopped at Harry Smith's for some coffee. And we were in the, the little coffee shop. And there was a, a couple there, and their food came, a huge plate of, of uh, eggs and bacon, and goodness knows what else was on it. And they joined hands. Both of them put their heads down, and the husband said a blessing. At the end, we didn't see the end, but I'm quite sure they probably did a, a blessing of thanks as well. Do you know, it was actually very moving to see. And my husband and I both commented on how unusual, actually, it is to see that, you know. And and Mm. it it was a beautiful, it was actually a beautiful sight of connection and of giving thanks to a higher power for what was being put in front of us to to actually nourish us, you know, them. Uh, When we run retreats um, on mindful eating, what we do is, you know, we start off with, we do a, a practical mindful eating exercise where we, you know, Bless the food. Think about the farmers. Think about how this food came to us. Now, think of nature. You know, everything, you know, the rain, the sun, the farmer, the people who work for the farmer, the truck drivers, you know, there was this. The seeds. Yes, there are so many factors that bring our food to us. But very often we we don't stop to think about Mm. how our food comes to us. You know, that's so true. I remember we lived in Germiston a long time ago 
and there was um, um, a dairy just outside of Germiston. And the school, the nursery school, took the kids to see these cows being milked. And I remember my son coming home in absolute awe. He always thought that milk was just delivered to your door, you know, <laughs> um, or you just bought a milk in the, yes. the, the, the shop in those days, you know, the normal shops. But um, he never, ever realized and I hadn't realized that I hadn't educated yeah. him enough to realize that milk actually came from a cow. He was quite shocked, actually. <laughs> Almost put him off milk for life. But, <laughs> but it's so true. It's that it's understanding where our food comes from and the yes. process and all that goes into it, all that's good and pure in nature, in, you know, yes. and, and those many blessings for the rain. And mm. I mean, look what happens when we don't, when we Absolutely. have droughts. Yes. Now, just going back to you and um, talking about binge eating. Yes. Do you find that that's a particular time of year that that happens or, you know, like for uh, or not really year, but if people are getting anxious about exams or yeah. do, you, do you feel that it comes in then? Okay, so um, when it comes to binge eating, really there are probably three to four triggers for binge eating. Mm-hmm. So the one is severe hunger. So if you let yourself get very, very, very hungry, you know, where you are ravenous, you know, your body goes into panic and it might land up. But that's a physical thing. You're, you might land up binge eating. But the most common um, reasons for binge eating is restriction, control, deprivation, elimination of foods. So you... Decide you're going to cut out carbs or you're going to cut out sugar or both or you're going to go on a diet and you can sustain that for however long you can and then you just reach a point where you can't. Mm. And very often that will trigger binge eating. So in response to that deprivation and that restriction. And then the next cause is emotional. So and very often they linked because when you are going through emotional distress and you have deprived yourself, you will turn to food mm. that you have forbidden. But very often, sometimes, you know, if you haven't restricted, even if you haven't restricted, you're feeling emotional distress and you're looking for a way to cope. So you might turn to chocolate or whatever food it is um, as, a, as a numbing tool. And the food then sends you into a bit of a food coma. It numbs. It distracts you. And so you kind of forget about the emotional trigger. And then what follows that normally is you beat yourself up. You beat yourself up for binge eating. And that is a further distraction from the core emotional trigger. And what happens with binge eating is people are so hard on themselves for binge eating. They judge themselves. They think they're weak and hopeless. But really, it's a coping mechanism. Would you say it's like other addictions? So there's a lot of... Um, Overlap. Yes, but also um, there's a lot of controversy around food addiction. Mm -hmm. There's a, a, a school of thought that says there is food addiction. And there's a school of thought that says there isn't. So... Um, but in the same way that an alcoholic or somebody who's addicted to drugs will turn cigarettes, cigarettes mm -hmm. work, 
pornography shopping, it's a way to numb or buffer pain. And we turn to alcohol or drugs or um, the Internet or shopping. So it's really a way not to be with the pain. Okay, so to block the thoughts out. Yes, or to block the thoughts, to block the pain, to block the emotions. So when you're doing mindful coaching, uh, I mean, a lot of um, emotional assistance needs to come in, I'm yes, sure, absolutely. With, with this intuitive type of dieting. So, well, I mean, not dieting, sorry. Not dieting. Not <laughs> dieting, eating. So the mindfulness approach to emotional eating and how to be with emotions. So in mindfulness, um, the the message is, can you be with a difficult? Can you be with a difficult emotion? And when it comes to emotional eating, what I like to teach my clients is you can eat emotionally, mindfully. Because, you know, very often the message out there is don't eat emotionally. Um, you've got to end emotional eating. What I like to, the message I like to give, which is something I learned from a, a clinical psychologist in America, is eat emotionally, but eat with awareness. Mm -hmm. So give yourself permission to eat emotionally, but recognize the emotion. See if you can feel it. Lean into it. And if you need to eat to soothe it, do that too. And that way we kind of ease into, because it's very hard to teach somebody and to fully go into feeling sadness, mm. to feeling loneliness, to feeling anger. It can be overwhelming. So you can eat a little bit, feel the emotion. So you're doing a little bit of both. So there's no denial actually coming in then. No. And that I way like you're that. teaching people emotional resilience and you also seeing emotional eating as a coping tool versus a coping failure. Mm. Because when you see it as a coping failure, then That's when you shame. beat yourself up. Exactly, mm. exactly. And when you're using, say, the chocolate and feeling the emotion, you, you've got like a bit of a crutch. So let me use this analogy. Um, you've had trauma in your life uh, or difficulties, emotional difficulties. And so your life is like this this overflowing river and you are in this river and you are trying to stay afloat and this log comes that you can hold on to that's going to help you through these turbulent times so that log is food binge eating mm. emotional eating mm. you that log has saved you that log has helped you cope so let's not ju judge the log and let's not just throw it out no use it Put it aside if you can, and then eventually float down. That's a lovely analogy, actually, that thought. It really is. Because I think that's such a big one, you know, of uh, of not accepting um, when people, first of all, of not accepting yourself. So when people say you're looking beautiful, thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to go and eat another packet of chips quickly, you know, because mm -hmm. you're not giving yourself permission to actually be beautiful yeah. or, you know, Whatever it is. And, um, you know, beauty comes in so many guises. And I think often in today's society, beauty is seen on the outside and not what comes from within. Yes. So here, when you're saying mind, be mindful and intuitive, it's actually giving ourselves permission to actually also appreciate what's inside. Well, it's all about acceptance. Mindfulness mm. is about acceptance. And it's just, it's about doing your best to accept 
how you feel, who you are, how you look. Mm-hmm. Now, what about where does exercise come in with this as a coach? Okay, so I like to refer to it as movement okay. or mindful movement. And it's really about listening and honoring your body. So in diet culture, we are taught grueling workouts. Oh, you know, if you can't do an hour at the gym, well, what's the point of going? And, uh, you know, if you haven't exercised, well, then you can't afford to eat. Or if you've overeaten, then you must go and, you know, pay penance by overexercising. Well, we're saying no to that. Mm. It's what feels good in your body? What is doable? You know, some days you're tired. So, you know, you're not going to go and work out for an hour. You're going to go for a gentle walk. Some days you're going to be feeling energetic. Well, then if you feel like running or doing something more energetic, do it. The whole thing about mindfulness is about coming into your body, whether it's movement, what will feel good in your body, whether it's food, what feels good, what feels enjoyable in your body. Okay, we'll wait break there for a moment a frequency like no other 101.9 high fm hello this is sue jackson on finding human my guest today is zenia ayotis and we're talking about enjoying our eating mindfully and intuitively (laughs) is that right you can sms us on three four five one nine now you were uh, talking about exercise and saying that it's actual mindful movement. And I think that's a very big thing because so often you hear use it or lose it. So, you know, in other words, get moving. Otherwise, you're going to kind of lose your ability to move. Now, I was watching a YouTube the other day of people on um, on walkers doing dancing you know an elderly man had begun this ex it wasn't dancing it was like an exercise to music and then you just saw all these people on their walkers joining in it was the most beautiful (laughs) thing to watch it really was because that was actual happy movement you know enjoyable movement and that's the only way movement is going to be sustainable if you don't like going to the gym if you don't like running then don't do it. Find something you love doing. There's so many options. There's yoga. There's Nia. There's, What's um, Nia? Nia is a dance expression. Oh. So, and there's Biodanza, which is like meditative dancing where they play music and you can dance in any way you like. So they're creative forms of movement. Just a simple walk. And really, anything is better than nothing. So for clients who don't like exercise and don't like moving, our bodies are designed to move. So, you know, we start small. And, you know, I always suggest, what would be super easy? A five-minute walk, just a few stretches in the morning. So just to take baby steps. Mm. This is not about big giant leaps and big changes. It's really about small little steps, baby steps changing and over time. And it's all about imperfect action. Whereas dieting is about perfect action. Oh wow, I like that. Mm. So little because you're never going to be mindful all the time. You're never going to be perfect at eating. There's no such thing as a perfect diet. It's about taking imperfect action and baby steps in the right direction. And before you know it, you will have undergone a a transformed relationship 
with food or your body or whatever it is you're trying to, to change. I always say to my clients, you can't hate yourself then or you can't hate yourself into change. Mm-hmm. It's got to be small, patient, slow steps. And as you say, accepting oneself along the way. I think yes. that's so important. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine, I'm sure she's listening in um, in Australia, sent a message through to say, she is uh, watching. It's very amazing that in winter, how her clothes shrink. I might add, she is thin. <laughs> <laughs> now, I like that because I think that does happen. And it's once again, I suppose it's comfort, is it? Um, it could be. I mean, you know, we eat differently according to the season. It's cold day in winter, so our bodies need more to warm up. And we eat more hearty, nourishing food. So it's, you know, our bodies can't stay the same weight all the time. They fluctuate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's change. And it's about being with the change and not resisting the change. But, you know, as human beings, we hate change and we resist it. And, you know. So love your winter body. <laughs> yes. Love your body. Absolutely. Winter, summer, winter. spring, whatever. Absolutely. Now, what what do you think? Um, uh, one of the questions that you are often asked is, what do you notice? Are there any common themes among people who eat compulsively? So people who eat compulsively, yes, there are some themes. So the one is a history of dieting. The other is uh, not accepting their bodies or hating their bodies. There is um, emotional distress. Very often there is a lack of boundaries, wanting to please, saying yes, um, finding it difficult to say no to people, being a people pleaser. And then when we let ourselves down, very often we'll overeat um, or, you know, we don't want to go somewhere and we're feeling bored and we end up going and so we overeat. So there are quite a few common traits with uh with compulsive eating. Well, you know, one of the things that one uh, uh, somebody actually sent me a, a question when this went out uh, that I was having you on my, my program was she says that people say to her, how on earth do you put on weight? I never see you eating. So she says if she's with friends at a restaurant or anything, she doesn't eat. She'll have maybe uh, iced coffee or something yeah. like that. But she said she eats Secretly, yes, yes, that is also quite common. So people are so scared of judgment, especially if they're in larger bodies. So very often, people in larger bodies, or it's actually not even just people in larger bodies, you'll go out for dinner or lunch or coffee, and you won't eat in front of people, or you'll have something to just something to drink. You won't feel comfortable to order pasta or carbs or chips. So possibly you'll just order a salad. Um, I hear this so often from our clients that they they really wanted the pasta, but because there were other people and they were so scared of being judged that, um, you know, they ordered the salad and then they felt so dissatisfied that they ended up overeating later because really what they wanted was the burger or the pasta. So, yes, very often people will eat differently when others are around for fear of judgment. Mm. And also, I think teenagers, I mean, I know that just talking to some young teenage boys, they say that the girls never eat when they're out, (laughs) you know, ever. Yes. And so the boys are tucking into hamburgers or whatever they might be doing. 
And the girls will have like diet uh, iced tea or something, yes. you know. And um, and funny enough, uh, one person actually said to me that they were so excited they'd gone out with some girl had, who had actually eaten. <laughs> Good so her. she was being judged by that, the fact that she had eaten, you know. Positively judged. Yes, positively, yeah. very positively yes. judged, actually. Yeah. Because um, I think, you know, uh, you and since since actually being told that, I have noticed when I've been out at restaurants and you see groups of youngsters sitting around, that it is the the boys. Mm. That, well, that's probably also changing now. Yes. But uh, because of body awareness. Yeah. But, you know, that they are the ones eating and the girls aren't eating. Mm-hmm. Do you find that? Yes. Who um, are most of your clients, men or women? Women and predominantly in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Although I am getting more requests for girls in their, in their 20s. Because really intuitive eating and mindful eating is, is kind of the last resort. So typically why my clients are older is, you know, they've gone on the dieting route, they've gone on all those routes and they've realized that that doesn't work. Mm. And eventually they just get to the point where they just have reached diet bottom. They cannot restrict anymore. What they really want is just to stop the noise in their heads. So when, you know, you, you're looking for something um, different and then they find this. What about age? Because that was another question that came through. Was how do you teach a young child, three or four, or even younger? I don't know when you think they can start mindfully eating. So practical mindful eating, um, you can start when they start eating. So and and they understand. So really, it's about paying attention to how your body feels and asking them, "Are you hungry?" How do you feel when you're hungry? How does this food taste? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or is it just neutral? Um, Chew your food, like making them aware of how. So try and avoid feeding kids or anybody for that matter in front of the TV or in front of a screen. So avoid distracted eating, Mm. Um, eating in front of the television, eating at your desk, in front of your computer while you're reading, looking at your phone. Because what happens is you are not paying attention. You are so involved in what you're looking at or what you're reading that you're not actually tasting what's in your mouth. And the message hasn't gone to your brain that you're eating. And then we tend to want more and more because we haven't savored and enjoyed the experience. Is that what happens? Okay, that makes sense, actually. So there are many practical ways that we can teach kids, like mm. emphasizing chewing, asking them what the experience is like, getting curious. Do they like it? How does it feel in their tummy? Mm. Have they had enough? So that's the practical side of it. And a very important thing with children is the non-judgment mm. and and emphasizing curiosity. That I love. Okay, we're breaking for an advert. Connecting our community. Choose life. Choose high. The 101.9 High FM. Hello, it's Sue Jackson. My guest is Zenia Ayotis. And I actually cannot believe how quickly the time is going. We're going to have to do this again. But what I would like to know from you, how will this approach help people, your approach? How does this help? So this helps specifically helps people who have 
a disordered, and I'm not talking about eating disorder, I'm talking about a disordered or dysfunctional relationship with food through dieting or food restriction. And it helps to shift your relationship with food to make it one where you're eating for pleasure. So there are two reasons why we eat. The one reason is to fuel and nourish our bodies so our bodies can live. The second reason is for the pure pleasure of the experience and the taste. So it brings the pleasure back into eating. Mm -hmm. It brings the acceptance. It stops the judgment of good food, bad food. Um, and it, it stops that food noise. It helps us connect with our bodies. And once we start eating mindfully that mindfulness goes and filters into other areas of your life when you if you've had a struggle with food eating in your body and you start dealing with the struggle i'm not it's it's hard work sue it's not easy to go in and explore and and dig deeper it's it's really hard work but it's so rewarding at the end and i've just seen such magnificent shifts in clients who um, one, for example, I'll mention because it's Rosh Hashanah coming up. You know, last year she was really scared about Rosh Hashanah and all the food and all the yomtivs and then followed by the fast. And so this year I emailed her and I said, so how are you feeling about Rosh Hashanah? She says, it's not an issue. I'm not phased. I am just so relaxed around food and my body. And, you know, to see that kind of transformation Absolutely. is just amazing. Now, you know, um, Zen, just going back to that, you have on your blog, you actually do have a special thing on Rosh Hashanah and on festivals. Um, what They can go onto your blog. Just give them your blog details. So my website is the Art of Mindful Eating. Mm, that's then, one word, the Art of Mindful Eating dot then, com. Yeah, dot com. And then you'll just go onto the blogs. And I've written one on Pesach um, and Rosh one Shana. Rosh Hashanah and one on how to cope, you know, over the December holidays. Okay, so holiday eating. Yes, in it's other holiday words. eating, the subject. Okay, yeah. so we're going to actually be putting this onto our events uh, page here at Chai FM if anyone wants to find out more about Xenia's approach. So, so for you, your coaching work, it, it, you do it by phone? So I do it face-to-face um, -face in Pretoria because that's where I'm based. And then um, I have clients all over the world and all over South Africa, and we do it on – it's wonderful to have an online business where you can work virtually. So it's on Skype, WhatsApp video, FaceTime. Wonderful. And then together you and we run retreats. I do one day workshops. Um, and is that will will that all be on your website? Yes, there's a retreat coming up in November at the Buddhist Retreat Center in KwaZulu Natal. Right. Um, and then next year we'll be running. Um, I work with a clinical psychologist, and we run a mindfulness based eating awareness program that we're going to be running next year, an eight week, um, probably in Parkhurst. Wow, that will be great. Yeah. So we'll get you on before then, then perhaps. Great. Yeah? Yes, we'd love that. Um, Craig is telling me that we're going to have to. Wrap up in a moment We're going to be listening to a program At the end as I said with Aretha Franklin on Say a Little Prayer for Me But I just want to tell you a bit about next week um, Next week I've got Daniel Schwab He will be continuing the story of his family's uh, Reclaiming of the family's past through letters His dad and his sister Ricky Lyons Were on the program a few weeks ago Daniel will be, will, will be in Israel So I'm doing a, a recording with him 
And you know what? I'm just thinking of so many people because sometimes festivals can be times of sadness and seeing that empty chair at the dinner table or in the synagogue, wherever you are, I really, I wish you strength to live within your challenges. And um, I wish you all a very happy Rosh Hashanah. And may we all be blessed to help and heal the rifts within our families, our cultures, our religions, and in all people, and certainly our beautiful earth. And I'd like to end with this quote. You are a master alchemist. You light the fire of love in earth and sky, in heart and soul of every being. May we all be blessed. How would you like to end, Zen? I love that um, ending. So, you know, in mindfulness, we have a loving kindness. So I would like to say, may we all find peace, joy with food and our bodies. Great. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. And thank you, Craig. And um, I will see you next week.